Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is Locked On Rockets podcast host, Jackson Gatlin, who's making his fourth visit to Houston Sports Talk. And Jackson, man, I wish we had something interesting to talk about this week. Hey, man, you know, it's been a pretty lackluster week for news. There's nothing going on in the Houston landscape. You know, all three franchises are totally fine. The Texans are doing great. Uh, the the Astros are great. George Springer's not going anywhere. And the Rockets are great. They're getting ready to run it back with their two. MV- oh, who am I kidding? It's a, uh, it's a clown fiesta right now. Houston sports are uh, definitely not looking so great. Uh, so we definitely have plenty to talk about uh, right here, right now, especially concerning <laughs> the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I better let listeners know that we're recording this 7-15 Tuesday night because who the hell knows what could happen by the time we're done recording and when listeners hear this. Woj has a lighter in one hand and explosives in the other. So we're going to try to get through uh, before the, the Woj bombs start happening left and right. But I want to start with the why are Harden and Westbrook demanding a trade roulette? Let's call it that game, Jackson. And are you putting your chips on the Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes rumor that um, they're upset because they weren't in the Silas hiring or weren't involved somehow in that? Or are you putting your chips on... Brian Windhorst, who said Westbrook got wind of Harden looking to join a super team in Brooklyn and then demanded a deal. I also have door number three, if you don't like those two, but I'll start with those two rumors. You know, I think it could be a variety of things. I do think the leading issue is that James Harden, you know, after a, another, you know, unfortunate playoff exit, you know, going out, you know, losing four in a row to the Lakers in the second round, um, you know, probably had some wandering eyes a little bit, probably was, uh, you know, speaking to and connecting with uh, Kevin Durant, possibly in the bubble a little bit, um, you know, and then uh, kind of communicating there. And then the offseason starts and uh, KD Harden have been working out pretty consistently in L.A. together. So those guys start talking and then basically it becomes, you know, one thing leads to another where Kevin Durant is doing his, you know, his best LeBron James impersonation as far as tampering goes, um, trying to create his own super team in Brooklyn and Harden gets, you know, some wandering eyes. And I I think that the timeline of events makes sense that Harden probably went back to management and told them, hey, um, I'd like to be traded to Brooklyn, which also plays into Daryl Morey's departure where they tried to. Uh, you know, and I'm I, I'm kind of speculating here, but they tried to offer James Harden that maximum level extension, that $50 million a year extension for the final two years, uh, which was the most money that they could offer him on top of his current deal. And kind of as a Hail Mary, like, hey, please stay, you know, please, we're trying to convince you we can put a contender around you. We can make this work. And, and I do think Daryl was trying to do that, which is why he was a part of the coaching search uh, well into, you know, the secondary phase of that coaching search. Until he that video came out from Mark Berman, where you see Daryl Morey walking away from uh, Post Oak Hotel and, you know, what was more than likely a meeting with Tillman Fertitta and uh, Daryl basically handing in his resignation letter, citing that he wanted to spend time with family, that kind of stuff. But frankly, I do think looking back, hindsight being 2020, that was probably Daryl kind of just deciding, look, this place isn't worth it anymore if James Harden isn't here, if James Harden is you know, going to force his way out of Houston because he doesn't want to be here anymore um, for a number of different reasons, because the Rockets have no more assets, because he can't make it work with Russell Westbrook on the court, because he really wants to go play with Kevin Durant again. Um, It can be a variety of factors. It's not just black and white. Um, So, no, I don't buy the whole they weren't included in the coaching 
decision search because even Steven Silas said that during his hiring process, he spoke with both James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And frankly, what agenda, if any, does Steven Silas have to push? None. He, he's the brand new head coach of the Houston Rockets. There is no reason for him to come out and blatantly lie or posture to help the organization, you know, after being a part of it for less than a week. So I don't think he was lying during his uh, introductory press conference where he said, you know, I spoke with Harden and Russ during the interview process, you know, I, and both of those guys have said that uh, they they like Silas, you know, that, that players really appreciate Steven Silas. So it's not I don't think that's the issue whatsoever. I think it's just simply James Harden has regrettably you know, run his course here in Houston, at least in his own mind, he believes that he's run his course here in Houston and uh, sees better opportunities elsewhere. And look, the guy just turned 31 years old. Um, he's got two to three years left of being a top five player. And I can't really blame him for wanting the best possible scenario to try and win a championship, especially seeing as how stacked this Western conference is. It makes sense to potentially want to move out East uh, to be a part of the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant and former head coach Mike D'Antoni, an assistant coach on Steve Nash's uh, coaching staff, or potentially the 76ers uh, reuniting with Daryl Morey and pairing up with one, you know, we would assume uh, Joel Embiid and having a, a dynamic duo out there in Philly. Yeah, the Silas thing, yeah, he had to be involved in that. And there was a th another thing that came up on the board when I, you go online uh, today, which just uh, really came out of left field. You had Bleacher Report's Rick Buecher, um, and, of course, Buecher's been an NBA guy for a long time. He said that the players were wanting out because of Tillman's support of Trump. And it surprised me if Buecher's just pulling this, this out of thin air. He, he's got a pretty good rep. The only thing that surprises me, if this is true, is that we haven't seen this type of revolt by a pro team sooner. You, you figured this was coming because so many uh, owners around every league had supported Trump and and this was you know an NBA uh, basically that their league had, had been against all of that. I mean that's that's what we were seeing and and everything. I, I don't buy that one for two seconds. You know, look, there's there's plenty of uh, franchise owners across all major sports that you know have supported Trump, have made uh, donations to his campaign, whatever you know, whatever have you. Um, and Tillman Fertitta just happened, you know, so happened to be a, one of the slightly, I guess, louder ones in that regard. Um, but I don't think that's the issue whatsoever, especially for a guy like James Harden, who, you know, all the way up until accidentally wearing the, uh, you know, the the thin blue line mask in the Orlando bubble up until that moment. This is a guy who has largely stayed out of the political spotlight doesn't like being the center of attention. You know, he very much just does his own thing, tries to stay out of any, you know, drama, whatnot. Um, you know, he, he very much just ignores the press and, and, you know, all the haters that come after him on a regular basis. So, you know, this would be a very awkward, uh, not even awkward. It just be, it doesn't make sense that, that James Harden would suddenly, this would be his posture all of a sudden after spending the better part of his entire career, not worried about, uh, making political statements or, or stand, you know, standing out or, you know, making a, uh, you know, coming out in, in support one way or another of, of situations like this. Um, so no, I don't buy that for, for two seconds. I think this is just more and more, uh, you know, things being leaked to the media from respective parties and camps to try and uh, align, uh, 
I guess, align fans or potential supporters of of both sides of the argument, uh, you know, trying to get people to lean one way or another. Uh, but as soon as I saw that one, I read like two paragraphs into it. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm already over this. It's I don't think there's any any credence to it. Yeah, just for the fun of it, I thought I would look into a couple of things. And according to 538, Tillman gave $444,000 to the Republicans. But what's interesting is Sixers owner Josh Harris gave $314,000. So if he was going to the Sixers, uh, pretty much the same thing. And, and maybe that's why you don't hear Harden pushing for a deal to the Sixers, if, if that's somehow the case, which you and I kind of question that. But what's also interesting uh, is that the Nets owner, Joe Tsai, was critical of Maury's comments against China last year, even had a Facebook open letter post on it. Also keep in mind, he's from Taiwan originally and had hoped to make big inroads into China when he bought the net. So that that probably had a lot to do with why. And, and since he's not an American citizen, it's illegal for him to make financial contributions to American politics under federal law. So he couldn't give any money to either candidate. Anyway, two more notes on this that I thought were pretty good. Number one, he recently donated $15 million to social justice and economic equality initiatives. And, and I don't really recall much that Tillman has done in that. So that's a that's a check in his column. But the other thing is my favorite part of the story of everything, Jackson, is he used to play pickup basketball when he was at Yale Law School with Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. How about that? <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's interesting for sure. Um, you know, we should uh, we should do a spinoff series where we uh, talk politics instead of sports. No, I kid. Um, you know, I've got look, I've done my fair share of um, talking politics over at Locked on Rockets, surprisingly, throughout this past year, because when I first inherited the podcast, uh, I was, you know, the whole China situation with Daryl Morey's free Hong Kong tweet was dropped into my lap. And then we had obviously the social justice movements and everything. And, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. I absolutely love being able to use the platform over there. And, and likewise, you know, you over here with your platform as well to be able to shed light on, on social justice issues and, and to raise awareness for those types of things. But at the same time, at the heart of it, um, you know, I think these these podcasts can also be kind of an escape from uh, the day to day uh, struggles, you know, the, the the crap that we see in everyday life sometimes. Um, and so it's nice to be able to just focus on sports sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard, though, because this has gotten so intertwined and in, in everything. And, and absolutely not, nothing would surprise me at this point. As far as like I said, I, I'm just surprised. I'm surprised this hasn't got to part of the discussions in the NBA because you do have a lot of owners that you know, are, are in direct opposition to the players. Um, I, I want to move forward a little bit. And I know we just had a Rockets official say just before you and I got on that said, we're willing to get uncomfortable waiting to get a trade to be done. Um, but I hate to be Debbie Downer because, you know, he's saying we could wait a while. We're going to get other teams involved. But it's just Jackson, when an NBA player tells a team, this is where I'm going to accept the trade. You rarely see other teams give up assets for a star who doesn't want to stay there long. Do you think the Rockets fans are prepared for Harden to the Nets and, you know, the Rockets, you know, to be a bad team for a few years. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm I'm thoroughly so far and it's just been, you know, it's been a short, we haven't even hit, what, not even 36 hours yet uh, since the trade moratorium was lifted. But I am thoroughly at this point impressed with Steve, or with not Steven Silas, I apologize. Uh, I am impressed with him and, and I look forward to what he's going to be able to do. Um, but I'm impressed with Rafael Stone because he was just completely catapulted into this situation with Russ 
and with Harden and the fact that they both both want out now. Um, and he is doing his due diligence and he has not panicked. He's not hit the immediate, uh, you know, eject button and sending Harden to Brooklyn just as he, you know, he's, you know, reported to having having been demanded, uh, you know, wanting to go to to Brooklyn. But I think that when you look at what's going on with the Rockets right now, it there is no there is no leverage in Harden's favor for getting to Brooklyn. You know, he can say, I want to go to Brooklyn all he wants, but he's also got two years left on his deal besides the player option. And I would be hard pressed to imagine James Harden opting out of that final year of his contract, which is worth, I think, $47 million off the top of my head. I don't have the numbers in front of me. So for all intents and purposes, we can treat that James Harden contract as a three-year deal. So whatever team takes a chance on James Harden, You know, I think at the root of it all, he wants a chance to contend and he doesn't believe that that can happen anymore here in Houston, which, yes, that's heartbreaking. It sucks that he is more or less the consensus number two player in franchise history and he will still hold that spot even if he leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouths by trying to force his way out. Um, I think that he's given this city, this franchise, an amazing eight years. He transcended what anybody ever thought he could be. Uh, when they first uh, acquired him back in the day, uh, I don't think anybody even, let alone Daryl Morey, thought that uh, James Harden would grow into this perennial year in, year out MVP candidate, all NBA player, um, you know, top five talent in the league. I don't think anybody could have predicted this. Uh, so the fact that he did turn into that and that he's given Houston, you know, spectacular performances every single season for eight years now. Um, you know, again, he's a guy who's at 31 years of age. It, I don't blame him for wanting to be put in the best possible scenario to win, but just like James Harden owes the city of Houston and the Rockets franchise, nothing, he doesn't owe them anything. Likewise, the franchise doesn't owe him anything. They do not have to send him to his preferred destination. They should absolutely field every possible offer. Pardon me. And they should do their due diligence to try and find the best possible offer to catapult the Rockets and to launch them into a proper rebuild. Because if you get back a young star plus significant draft capital, a king's ransom basically for James Harden, that is going to set you up for the foreseeable future. And rather than being caught in rebuild purgatory for five to eight years, like so many other teams in the league, a trade of James Harden is going to probably net the largest return with with so many years left on his contract. We're probably going to be, see the largest return for any superstar trade in NBA history to this point. That's what I would argue. And so – You're looking at the teams. You're looking at Brooklyn and and what they can offer. Brooklyn can't offer anything substantial. They have a poo-poo platter of players. They do not have a young star to offer back in this trade. So they are absolutely – they need to be blowing up the phones of teams elsewhere to see who they can get to try and then flip into a James Harden trade because there's other teams out there. The 76ers have Ben Simmons to offer as a – franchise cornerstone piece the uh boston celtics if they want to get involved they could potentially float uh jalen brown who is still better than any player in the potential nets offer and has a much higher upside as well as the uh, treasure trove of assets that danny ainge consistently hoards like a dragon sitting on top of gold uh so there's a lot of different avenues that they can go and at the end of the day they just need to not rush and so it's okay hearing that report that you know from somebody in the upper management of the Houston Rockets organization says they're okay with these stars being uncomfortable. That's fine because at the end of the day, the, t- the clock is not ticking for the Houston Rockets because unfortunately that door looks like it's probably been slammed shut in their faces. The clock is ticking for the teams that potentially want to take a chance on James Harden. So, for example, the Brooklyn Nets, the clock is ticking on them. 
if they don't make this trade for James Harden and they fall flat in the playoffs, who does that look bad on? It doesn't look bad on the Rockets. It looks bad on the Nets for them not doing everything in their power to get James Harden in a Brooklyn Nets jersey. So, and other franchises as well. If you're looking at the Boston Celtics or potentially maybe, I don't know, the Miami Heat, you know, another team, these teams that are kind of on the cusp of being favorites or, you know, getting getting to the Eastern Conference Finals or the NBA Finals um, out of the Eastern Conference, those teams need to actively be looking at what they could put together as far as a package for James Harden because you're going to get, at a minimum, two years of a top five player in his prime, which is absolutely worth a gigantic haul. Probably, Like I said, the biggest haul we will, we will have ever seen in NBA history. A couple of things off of what you said. The first thing I wanted to mention is the Ben Simmons deal, and, and maybe you can shed some light on that. From what, what I understand from David Wiener, our friend, with clutch fans uh, known as Bema Thug on Twitter, he was saying a Ben Simmons deal can't happen anytime soon. Is that correct? All that it means is it would have to wait until after this Friday when the uh, official and I, I don't want to butcher the terminology behind it because I am not a, a you know a capol a, a capologist by any stretch of the imagination. I have a working knowledge of the cap, um, but my understanding is that Friday when free agency officially begins is when the contracts officially roll over to their next uh, to the the salaries for the next fiscal year, I guess, for the NBA. So right now, Ben Simmons is only making uh, a little over eight million dollars, and his extension kicks in. Uh, past Friday. So as soon as Friday rolls around, he jumps up to 30 something million dollars or a hair under 30 million, whatever his contract value is um, for his extension. And basically he can't be traded before that. So I, when I proposed a question to Bema Thug earlier today on Twitter, I was just wondering if they would be able to absorb back the salary of say uh, Al Horford or Tobias Harris possibly to make or to kind of incentivize that trade with the 76ers and to also bring back a piece that down the line might be able to be flipped as an expiring deal or, or something in that capacity. Um, but that's all that he was clarifying. So a, a Ben Simmons trade can absolutely take place in the not so distant future, uh, but it would have to be after Friday. Okay. The other thing about what you were talking about that's, that's real interesting is the Rockets getting back at King Ran King's ransom. You know, most of that you're going to just be talking about first round picks. The problem with first round picks and the Rockets rebuilding quickly off of James Harden is you're getting first round picks from a team that's going to be one of the best teams in the league because you're, you're, they're adding James Harden. So you're assuming you're going to get late first round picks and late first round picks, according to NBA GMs these days, are about worth as much as a Bill O'Brien would consider a first round pick would be these days. That's the, <laughs> that's the problem there, Jackson. So, you know, I think what we're looking at, though, is any picks that were conveyed in a potential James Harden trade. Um, yeah, you would get a few picks out of the gate, but it, it would have to be, it would have to be 10 years worth of picks. It would have to be a pick every other year alongside some pick swaps to really make it worthwhile. And so, yeah, the first few picks in that lineup are, are not going to be worth that much because they're going to be during the, the period of time where James Harden is a member of wherever you trade him to be at the 76ers or the Brooklyn Nets or the Celtics or, you know, this one's way out of you know, left field, but potentially the, the Golden State Warriors. Um, there's a lot of interesting destinations that you could field a, a really strong offer, significantly better than an offer from the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that if you're looking at, those, those picks, the first couple ones, yeah, the first couple legitimate picks in, in any offer, they're not going to be worth that much, but it's the picks further down the line. So, you know, if you are, are thinking, you know, the very first pick that would be conveyed is say 2023, then yeah, that 2023 pick, 
James Harden's still going to be a part of that team. They're still going to be performing pretty well two years from now, that kind of thing. But then you start looking at 2025, 2027, 2029, um, you know, picks like that much further down the line, similar to the picks that the Rockets conveyed to Oklahoma City in the Russell Westbrook trade, where, uh, you know, some of the earlier picks, you know, and the pick swaps don't really matter, but it's the picks much further down the line that even though they're top four protected, um, those picks much further down the line have a significant chance to actually net the Thunder something of value in those drafts much further down the line. So when you're talking about a James Harden trade, yeah, some of the picks aren't going to be worthwhile. But at, this, at the end of the day, trading first-round draft picks is also a really wonderful currency in the NBA. And if you're able to flip James Harden into a cornerstone like Ben Simmons as well as a, you know, a, a treasure trove of draft picks – then all it takes is, you know, hitting on a couple really quality rotation guys in the draft, you know, developing some young talent, uh, giving that, you know, one, two, three years to gel together. And then suddenly, as, say, Ben Simmons is, you know, rolling into, you know, year, you know, he's turning 26, 27, kind of rolling into his prime. Then you take, you know, some of that stash of draft picks, draft assets that you got in the James Harden Hall, and you throw all of that at somebody for a trade for a an established star, somebody who's also in their prime or somebody who's disgruntled and wants out. And then suddenly, bam, you're right back at contender status with Ben Simmons, a secondary star, and the, the proper role players around them that are ideally at that point homegrown. Because one thing that we've seen or I guess haven't seen from this Houston Rockets team is they really haven't had much homegrown talent over the last five or six years. You know, the last time that they picked in the first round uh, early in the first round, I should say uh, was what Sam Decker, I think. And, you know, Clint Capella obviously comes to mind as a first round draft pick as well. Um, but for the most part, they've consistently traded their draft picks. So they haven't had much uh, talent development or, or homegrown talent, I should say, uh, here in Houston. And that's something that's absolutely going to be changing moving forward uh, if they're able to get back the the proper assets for trading James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I also think lost in some of this, and I, I think some Rockets fans m might not understand this, but they're going to miss out on one of the better drafts that we're going to have next year. It's considered one of the best drafts in the last decade. While this draft, they're getting a pick in the Covington trade. This is not considered a really good or deep draft at all. So, you know, they got to hope that next year with the Covington uh, trade that the Blazers are a bottom tier playoff team. So they're at least going to have a decent first round pick. Now, we don't know what they might get for maybe a P.J. Tucker or something like that. But what sucks is if you're bad this year, the Rockets, you, you make a bunch of deals and you're no good. You don't benefit unless you can get in that top four. And, and Jackson, the lottery isn't as it was it used to be. It's, it's much more evenly weighted. So it's hard to get into the top four, even if you're terrible. Yeah. Now, I, I will preface this by saying uh, before I dive into my answer is that um, regrettably, because up until a few days ago, I didn't think it was a possibility that the Rockets were going to be doing anything of relevance in this draft uh, other than potentially buying a late second. But then as things ramped up and as the rumors became more and more apparent, um, I started even jokingly talking about it on Locked on Rockets that I might actually have to start doing some draft prep. And then here we are trading Robert Covington, and now the Rockets hold the 16th pick in this NBA draft. Now, I will say from everything that I've read about this draft – um, I, I do want to throw in a correction. Apparently, and this is from what I've read so far, it's not necessarily a top-heavy talent draft from like the, the top five perspective where normally there's a lot of top-heavy talent in a draft where you've got the consensus, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth overall picks. 
and you're just kind of going in order of who the most talented prospect is. Um, so the top side of the draft is not super uh, impressive this year, but from everything that I've been reading uh, out of The Athletic and some other articles uh, is that this is actually a pretty deep draft as far as uh, d- like kind of role player level talent. So there's not going to be you know a bunch of stars in this draft that are coming out, but this is going to be a good draft to get some you know some quality rotation type guys you know guys who can you can develop into uh you know decent caliber nba players so it's nothing that's going to be super you know fancy or sexy jumping off the page whatever uh, but there are some potential guys in this draft and i haven't done a whole lot of draft coverage unfortunately so i'm still getting uh getting a feel for some of the names that are involved in this draft but specifically looking at uh you know, looking at the fact that the Rockets have the number 16 this year and their situation for next year, yeah, if they manage to jettison uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook this offseason, uh, unless they fall in the top four, they lose their pick, which does kind of suck because uh, then it conveys to the Thunder. But at the same time, they still have a 40, it's like a 48% chance or a 49% chance to get that uh, top four pick if they absolutely tank next season. So there is a silver lining there. It's possible for them to still, you know, suck so bad and tank so hard that they actually do luck out and get a really good pick in what is supposed to be a really, really loaded draft next season. Um, But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think that right now they're doing what they're supposed to do, which is being patient. They haven't jumped the gun on anything. I think that Rafael Stone uh, is doing an excellent job by driving up the market value on Russell Westbrook because from everything that's been reported, we're seeing that, there isn't much of a market for Russ, that the two teams that are interested, the Knicks and the Hornets, basically don't want to give up assets for Russ. And and we're back to square one, similar to the Brooklyn Nets situation where the Rockets don't want to accept a poo-poo platter of players, uh, you know, expirings or bad contracts and, you know, no value type, uh, a no value type trade just to get rid of Russell Westbrook. That doesn't make any sense for the franchise. So what does Rafael Stone do? He goes out to the Washington Wizards. He says, hey, look, I've got Russ. And he's absolutely still a a top 15, top 20 NBA talent. And in the East, alongside Bradley Beal, you guys are absolutely going to make the playoffs and probably be a you know at least a six or a seven seed in the East if you pair up Beal and Russ and have that backcourt in the East. So what are you are, are you willing to give me John Wall and maybe the number nine overall pick in this draft? And the you know they're having those discussions and. Maybe it's just a ploy to try and get the Knicks and the the Hornets to actually up their respective offers for Russ if they're interested. So he's manipulating the non-existent market for Russell Westbrook, which is so impressive. You know, I think people need to remember that with Rafael Stone, even though he's technically a rookie GM, he's spent the last 12 years under Daryl Morey, watching him closely, one of the top GMs in the NBA, watching him closely, working alongside him, alongside every single major deal. So his thinking probably falls much in line with how Daryl Morey would operate normally. So with you know going under that assumption, I don't think Stone is going to be out here and actually get you know fleeced by another experienced general manager. I think he's absolutely uh, you know ready to take on this mantle, and you know he's not. Uh, I don't think he's really in over his head at this point. Yeah, I, I don't think there is much of a market for Russ. I mean, I, I've listened to Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst, and they, they call everybody in the league, and they said, look, there's not much market. I, I agree with Mark Stein where he says the, the Hornets and the Knicks are interested. You mentioned Sham's report about Westbrook for John Wall. As far as John Wall is concerned, I mean, he's coming off major knee injury. You don't know if he's ever going to be the same, but at least he's a former All-Star. I don't know. I mean, I said, I think that's the best guy that you're going to be able to get for Russ as far as 
a player. You, you might be able to get a mix of other guys, but as far as like a really quality player that you can put out there that, you know, maybe he's not an all-star anymore, but at least was an all-star. I think Wall's the best you're going to do for us. Yeah. Again, I don't view it as a move. It's not a move with the intent of, oh, we're getting Wall for Russ and the pick and we're going to run it back and we're going to be contenders with John Wall and James Harden. That's not the issue because at, at the heart of it, Russell Westbrook is a more talented player than John Wall and John Wall hasn't played basketball in, in two years. So that's not how I'm viewing that potential trade. How I'm viewing it is it gives the it gives the Rockets more draft capital, more assets in a draft where there's going to be you know a lot of talent to choose from. Not a lot of top heavy talent, but still a lot of talent all throughout that first round at least. And potentially even going so far as packaging, say the number 16 overall pick and the the ninth overall pick, and you know jumping up even further in the draft possibly. So that's another avenue. But what it does is it allows John Wall, if the trade goes through, it allows him the opportunity to potentially recoup some of his value this upcoming season in an environment where if you've got Russ who wants out and James Harden who wants out, that's a really toxic environment right there. And telling everybody that they've got to report back to training camp December 1st, and even though they don't want to be here, they, they both requested trades, and they're both having to play this season, at least up until the trade deadline at least, um, with each other, and they don't want to be here anymore – it's just a really toxic situation. So instead, you get rid of Russ, you get back an asset in the number nine overall pick, and then you're 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 left with John Wall, who is still a big question mark. But at the same time, maybe he has a huge bounce back year. Maybe he has a bounce back year and shows that he's got you know something left in the tank. And then suddenly next summer, you're able to field some offers for John Wall, very similar to this summer. How after renewing his value with the Thunder, Chris Paul was able to actually net the Thunder a really good a really good trade package. Uh, you know Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, and, and another first round draft pick. So I, I, that's kind of how I'm viewing this potential John Wall trade is it makes sense from the standpoint of this team is still rebuilding. The John Wall trade is not their attempt to pair a different star with James Harden. It's just trading one bad contract for another with the offset of actually receiving back a little bit of asset. Yeah, people don't know he's got three years left on the deal. I'm just wondering uh, from your perspective, you know, going to the Rockets, you know, what they had coming into this year. I had him at best, maybe the fifth seed. And they were on a downhill slide. I mean, they're getting older. Uh, the Western Conference is getting deeper and tougher. And you just wondered what, what they were going to do going forward. In a way, do you think this could be the best thing that happened to them, that they were kind of forced their, their hand a little bit into, into rebuilding? The best thing that could have happened for them was for the season to have not been uh, disrupted by COVID-19 and allowed uh, Russell Westbrook to continue on that tear that he was on in the regular season and potentially not receive the quad injury, um, finish in a higher seated position. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of different things that really threw off this last season. And what's done is done. You know, we can play, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, or, you know, I wish it would have gone this way, whatever. Um, but the fact of the matter is the way the cards are dealt right now, the Rockets are still in a great position to be able to bounce back immediately and potentially, weather or I apologize not have to weather the storm that is this really intense Western conference because you've got and I imagine you know two three four more years of LeBron James I don't know when he's ever you know because every year we're wondering is this the year LeBron's actually going to experience a a drop off and every year he comes back and looks even better so I don't know if you can accurately predict when LeBron James and the Lakers are going to have a, a significant drop off, especially because Anthony Davis is just now rolling into his prime. So there's that. So you've got to contend with the Lakers. The Clippers are running it back. 
Uh, the Nuggets are a very youthful team, so they're going to be around for a little while. Uh, the Suns really only have a short window of two years with Chris Paul. Uh, now, they're still a young team with Booker and Ayton, but they've also given up you know, some of their other youth in Kelly Oubre and, you know, a couple other pieces to acquire Chris Paul. So the Suns have kind of a finite window as well. Um, but basically, you look up and down the Western Conference, the Mavs are going to be contenders for a while. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies are going to be getting better. Portland Trailblazers have a have a time limit on them. Uh, they're definitely an older team as well. So maybe this was the best case scenario for the Rockets where they're able to just say, you know what? The West is an absolute bloodbath right now. There's 12 teams out of 15 all gunning for eight playoff spots. Um, we're just going to hit the reset button. We're going to trade off the two stars. We're going to gather all these assets. We're going to get a cornerstone player. We're going to develop talent under Steven Silas and this, you know, excellent coaching staff that is, you know, brought on board uh, a lot of guys who are known on this coaching staff for developing young talent. Specifically, that is a strength of Steven Silas. He has been around, uh, you know, been around the block for quite some time, uh, was a part of LeBron James's development, was a part of Steph Curry's development, was a part of Luka Doncic's development. So if you give him a guy like Ben into his career where he can have kind of that impact on him as a young player and kind of mold him and help him grow into the best version of himself, then I, I think you're looking at a potential where the Rockets could be making some serious noise again in the West as things kind of taper off and tone down a little bit. They could potentially have a bounce back and be legitimate contenders again in, in a, sh a span of as short as two to three years um, rather than, so you know, again, some teams who go on these five plus, 10 plus year uh, playoff droughts because they didn't have a James Harden and a Russell Westbrook to flip into assets to jumpstart a rebuild. You've had 20 hours to get your books out and start looking through videos to figure out who the Rockets are going to take at 16. Uh, who are the draft prospects? And go! <laughs> Dude, I, I Robert, I have nothing for you right now, unfortunately. Like, legi like legitimately, I don't. Because I, I found out just 20 hours ago that they were going to have a pick. And so, yeah. um, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> and I had to go to, I had to go to work today, you know, worked a, a nice 10, 11 hour shift, uh, wasn't able to do any research at work. So I am at a loss for who the Rockets are going to pick. Now I am going to get in some last minute, um, you know, uh, draft research and I'm going to sit down here shortly and, and try and figure out what the best case scenario is for the Rockets at number 16. But right now your guess is as good as mine. Um, you know, I, I really don't know what direction they're going to go in. I've looked at some names. Um, Tyrese Maxey might be a guy that they look into taking. Uh, there's a there's a, a guy whose name he's a foreign guy uh, whose name I can't even remember off the top of my head right now. I took very brief notes earlier, um, but it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. Uh, what direction they want to go in. All right. Just a couple last quick things. James Harden is going to be playing where on December 22nd. Despite it, well, I'll throw in the caveat really quick. Despite what we're hearing about the unwillingness of the Rockets ownership to deal James Harden back to Daryl Morey, I think that Ben Simmons plus Draft Hall plus potentially Matisse Thibel, maybe Shake Milton as well, that package is the most attractive James Harden package. And if Tillman Fertitta and Rockets ownership decide not to send him there just out of spite, it will absolutely set this franchise back a decade if they decide to de deal him to the Brooklyn Nets for that, you know, really horrendous platter of players. So I, I think that if that offer is put on the table, if it's the godfather offer of Ben Simmons plus Thibel plus Shake Milton plus 
you know, five or sorry, I apologize, a decade worth of draft picks and pick swaps. I think the Rockets absolutely jump at it. And that's what's going to be the thing that jumpstarts the rebuild. And Russ Westbrook is going to be playing where? As intriguing as the John Wall, Russell Westbrook swap is. My my heart says that the Charlotte Hornets get, uh, I guess, like frantic and they decide to up their offer for Russ and potentially include the number three overall pick for Russell Westbrook. And it would be some version of the number three overall pick Nicholas Batum and, you know, maybe one or two other pieces to match salary completely for Russ, um, which would again, put the Rockets in a beautiful spot to have the number three overall pick and the number 16 overall pick in this year's draft uh, to, to jumpstart a rebuild. So I'm going to say Charlotte. Very interesting. It's an incredible week in Rockets history. It's an incredible year in the NBA's history. And if you aren't subscribed to Locked On Rockets, you got to do it this week. This is the week to do it. If you're not there for some reason, if he hasn't got you the last few times, we've had him on the show. He's doing this every single day. Jackson, are you ready for a long week every single day you, you're probably gonna have some news here I absolutely you know we're gonna have different guest voices on we're gonna have news every single day we're gonna have speculation analysis rumors everything and look at, at the end of it all it is a bit bittersweet that this might be the way that James Harden's tenure is ending here in Houston but at the same time you know basketball is about having fun and watching basketball is about having fun and being able to just kind of uh, you know, lose yourself in in a game, you know, and, and, you know, talk a little smack and have a little fun for a couple hours, you know, a few nights a week. And, you know, I even though I'm a, you know, diehard Rockets fan at heart and I love this team to pieces, I also enjoy watching other teams play basketball. And so just because the Rockets may not be, uh, you know, fighting for an immediate championship in the in the not so distant future. It doesn't mean that you can't still tune in and enjoy the team and watch the highlights and still cheer for the players and watch them develop and, you know, watch them slowly turn this team around uh, and become a contender again, because it does seem like they've got the right people in place to do that. Um, the, there's doubts about the ownership. There's doubts about Tillman Fertitta, uh, but he's put Rafael Stone and, and Steven Silas in the spots that they're in to be able to do their jobs. And, you know, I've got the utmost confidence in those guys to be able to put together a a true blue championship contender and doing it in a homegrown way is going to be so interesting because you look at some of the most recent championships and you look at the golden state warriors who have a lot of homegrown talent. You look at the Raptors who have some homegrown talent. Um, you look at the Miami heat right now who have a lot of homegrown talent, you know, and they, they made that one significant splash by bringing in Jimmy Butler to be, you know, their, uh, their, their go-to guy, but all their other talent, so many of their other guys are homegrown. And so it's going to be so great to watch this rockets franchise. If that's the direction they go, you be able to develop talent here in Houston, watch guys grow up before our eyes, and then somewhere down the line, really punch it home by bringing in a big, a big name free agent. And then suddenly, bam, three to four years down the line, we're contender status again. Well, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you coming on with us in a crazy week. Thanks so much for doing this. And uh, good luck with uh, all the Rockets news this week. As always, it's a pleasure to join you, Robert. You have a good one. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.